My name is Anthony Bonifant. My name is Nathan Bonifant. Played all through high school, four years, two years of prep football, college. Played on a team since I was about seven, and I just loved it ever since. I wanted to be a wide receiver because I like catching the ball. I like I like scoring touchdowns. People think it's all catching. It is a lot of catching, but you have to run great routes. So your defender who's defending you cannot know where you're going. Only you and the QB know. Uh, a defensive back, our job is to make sure the wide receiver, my brother, doesn't catch the ball. You just got to run your route perfect, get away from the defender, catch the ball. Catch the ball first. Once you catch the ball, turn around and get to that end zone. You got to score. When uh, the wide receiver tries to get off the line of scrimmage, um, you jam him, you hit him as hard as you can. Try and knock him, try and knock him down, do whatever you can, disrupt the route, try to get his timing off with the, with the quarterback. You gotta be as fast as possible, because at wide receiver, you have to get away from the defender, make sure my routes are perfect, make it so the defender never knows where I'm going. Do whatever you can to um, make sure the play gets messed up. Stay on his hip, wherever he goes, you go. You're, you're stuck to him. Once you see that ball in the air, you gotta make a play on it, or take him out, whichever one. First of all, to have success in football, you need to study your playbook. You need to know all the plays by heart. So I gotta make sure I stay in bounds, because once I step out of bounds, I can't catch the ball. That leads me out of the play. You gotta know the play, you gotta know what to do. As a wide receiver, me and my QB are always connected. He knows exactly where I'm gonna go at the exact time where I'm gonna be at, and I gotta make sure I get there so I'm in place so I can catch the ball and I can make a play for my team. I try to interrupt the reception any way I can. Just like the devil would try to interrupt receiving God's blessings. Waking up 5 a.m., going to meetings, going to lift weights, 5 a.m. before school. At the time, it was awful, you didn't want to do it, but you can't feel sorry for yourself. You got to think of the future, of how it's going to help you. Football is 24-7, just like being a Christian is 24-7. <laughs> That's our very own uh, Nathan and Anthony, twin football players, part of our congregation. So let's give them another hand for doing that for us. And you know, uh, let's see here. Oh, one thing. Last night we had a, I meant to tell you, we had a great water baptism. I think it was 27 People got baptized. It was rocking in here, I tell you. Absolutely amazing. You know, God's presence, the joy, the lives has been transformed, and we had to take the football field down because, you know, our baptismal tank is right under there. But it was a, absolutely a fantastic time. And uh, also, Benjamin uh, FaceTimed us yesterday and uh, was telling us a little bit what's going on there, and he specifically, you know, Benjamin, our... our middle son there he's a marine and he specifically said tell everybody i said hello and he is uh in norway which is in the arctic circle and he wanted me to let you know because he is there and he is this is i'm not joking he is in a town called hell and he said he wanted y'all know because it's arctic he said he wants you to know that hell does freeze over you know <laughs> at least the one that's in norway okay i'm serious you know i'm not making this stuff up you know, 
Somebody said hello uh, to everybody, and y'all keep praying for him. That's what he asked me to pass on uh, to you guys there. Well, you know, uh, we've been talking about how a lot of people, they really do settle for less. Instead of receiving God's best, and we heard uh, uh, our, our twin football players there telling us, you know, about the playbook again. Not only do you, you read it, but you memorize it, you know. And it's really important as a football player to know the, the, the playbook. And it's very important, you know, for you when that quarterback, he, he gives, you know, in, in the huddle, he t gives you the play and you run, he passes that ball. You want to be in the right position to catch it. If you're not in the right position, what happens? You know, it makes things complicated. What happens when you're out of bounds? We've talked about this before. Is the quarterback going to pass the ball to you when you're out of bounds? Hey, I'm over here. I'm clear. I'm in the open. It's like he'd just be throwing the ball away. Because if you're out of bounds, it, it don't do anybody any good. Nobody, you know. So we need to remember to have a close relationship with our quarterback. Our quarterback is Jesus. And we need not only to study and read, but to memorize the plays of the playbook so we can run them out and it's so important we've talked about this already but to be in the right position to receive god's best if you've got unforgiveness in your heart towards somebody you're bitter resentful you're out of bounds and you're likely not to receive much of god's best because you're not in the right position with bitterness in your heart so you got to forgive so you can be back in bounds again you know and you can uh, be in a position to receive god's best now I want to share a passage with you this morning that's very important. It's in First uh, John chapter one, verse nine. And and you know what sin is, right? Everybody know what sin is? <laughs> I think everybody's pretty good at it, you know. But sin really does mean to miss the mark. When we sin, it really does mean to step out of bounds. You know, we we've stepped beyond a boundary that we should have. Not step beyond. But it says here in 1 John 1, 9, it's important for us to, to know this. He says, if we confess our sins to him, your life is over with. God just flushes you down the, is that what it says? That's what the devil wants us to think. But if we'll confess our sin, acknowledge it. Say, God, I, I, I let you down, you know. God, I, I, I sinned against you. I, I did wrong. Please forgive me. He says here, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from what? All, all wickedness, if we confess it. Now, in this day and time, let's just say there's a football game going on, okay? And the guy... He's 30 yards ahead of everybody else. And he catches the ball, and then he goes out of bounds for a second, and he goes back in. And he, he says he made a touchdown. And they're going, nah, you're out of bounds. No, I wasn't. What do we have to prove it? Instant replay. You think God's got an instant replay? I think he's got a whole lot better one than uh, they have at the football you know, stadium, to be honest with you. So if we can't argue with God. The best thing we can do is, is to receive his best is to say, 
I'm guilty, right? Confess, I, I, I stepped out of bounds. I missed the mark. Because he said, if, and it's conditional, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all wickedness. But now he says in verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, I wasn't out of bounds, you know. If we claimed we have not sinned, we're calling God a liar and showing that his word or his playbook has no place in our hearts. So we need to confess. We really do. We need to confess our sins to God. And he'll forgive you and get you right back in the right position, forgiven. That's the position to receive God's best. Uh, let's see here. Don't worry, I've only got, how big of a bag is that? Ten pound bag, it won't take that long. You know what I, as I've told y'all before, I really like any sermon where I can use food. You know what I'm saying? Oh, man. Forgot some salt. Well, there's one. All right. And you say, Pastor, why would you do that? I really don't know. I just wanted to. <laughs> no. Nah. I want to read you something. I got to get some water. Oh. Well, if the ushers can get me a little salt and pepper for the next service, I'd be good. Oh, I'd be better. Okay. A waitress named Sally. And a cook named John. They worked together at a local restaurant, and each day John showed up early to prep the food for the day, coming in before sunrise and leaving well past dark. Sally felt really sorry for John working all those long hours, and she wondered what she could do to help. I know, she said. I'll come in early tomorrow, and I'll prep the food for him. He'll be so surprised and thankful. And the next morning, she got in ahead of him by at least an hour. In the kitchen, she saw a large bag of potatoes. Those will take at least an hour to peel, she thought to herself. So I'll do it first. And then John will have more time for all the other things he needs to do. Sally got right to work peeling the potatoes. 
she smiled as she thought of how surprised and blessed John would be. Sally peeled every potato in the bag and she cut them up just as she heard John's car pull in. She cleaned up the peelings and went to the break room waiting for his reaction. After a few minutes, John came over to the break table and found Sally. Did you peel those potatoes? He asked, not seeming at all happy or thankful. Sally was puzzled. Why, yes, she replied hesitantly, unsure why he didn't seem at all grateful. Come with me, John said. I want to show you something. So John took Sally to the front counter of the restaurant and showed her the sign announcing the daily special. Sally gasped when she saw the writing. Today's special, steak with baked potatoes. You know, no matter how much we want to make things right in our, our families, no matter how much we want to make things right in our marriages, sometimes we get ahead of God. Do we consult with God before we make decisions? Sally's heart was in the right place, but she did not consult with John and therefore ruined their whole plan for the day, had to go buy more potatoes. You think that's possible that sometimes we mean well, but we just don't consult the playbook? We don't spend some time with the quarterback, you know? We don't consult him. And so we go and do a run that we think is cool and awesome and fantastic, but it's not in the playbook. It, it ends us in the outer bounds, and our quarterback is not going to throw you the ball there. You're not going to receive God's best because you're not in the best position. You're not in the right relationship, you, you see. If you want to know what the, the coach and what the, the quarterback wants you to do, consult them. Consult the playbook. And I venture to say we all make decisions every day of some kind. And we should consult our quarterback. We should consult the playbook. So we're not doing like Sally did. Meant well, but it still put her out of bounds, you know. She wasted a lot of time and energy, didn't really accomplish what she had hoped to accomplish. In uh, the book of Joshua, chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut. I mean, it was shut up like a drum. I mean, Jericho has walls around it, huge walls, thick walls, had apartments built into the walls. It was so thick, you know. It was a walled city that was impenetrable and, and all the, the gates and the walls were shut and they were locked up tight. So now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people <clears throat> in Jericho were afraid of the Israelites. That was God's people. No one was allowed to go out or in because they were afraid, you know, of God's people. They'd heard what God had been doing for his people. So it says in verse 2, um, But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you, you hear that word given? God said, I have given you Jericho, its king and all its strong warriors. God says, I've given them to you. He just said that. There's nothing visibly obvious that shows that it's true, but God said it. Let me ask you a question. Those of you who know God, you know his playbook a little bit. Has God given you anything? Absolutely 
beyond a shadow of a doubt. Anyhow, God told Joshua, I've given you Jericho, I've given you the kings, the warriors, you win. Verse 3, it says, you and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Just march around it. Do you know what happened while they marched around it? The, the guys on the wall were like, at first nervous because they've been hearing about how God had been defending his people. Now they're laughing at him and mocking, hey guys, what y'all doing down there? Hey, how come you're not saying nothing, you know? Probably throwing things at them, some rotten food, maybe a potato, who knows? Making fun of them. So it says here, the Lord told him, he says, you and your fighting men should march around the town once a day and do it for six days in a row. You know, on the sixth day, everybody's getting like, hey, these guys, they're just walking around. Verse 4 says, seven priests will walk ahead of the ark. The ark was the visible presence of God on the earth at that time. And the priests, each carrying a ram's horn. And on the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. So that seventh day was a little different. You got the priests blowing the horns as you're going around it. Going around it seven times, you know. Verse 5 says, And when you hear the priest give one long blast on the ram's horn, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Can you imagine it? Millions of people marching around, you know. God's people who out, come out of Egypt, you know, they're marching around the city of Jericho that's walled, and, and they're marching, and now they all begin to shout. Let me tell you something. Nothing had happened, but they obeyed God. They begin to shout. Does anybody know what happened when they begin to shout? The walls fell down flat, the Bible says. They come tumbling down flat. See, a lot of people, once the ball game, your team wins, then you shout. See, once you and I see a miracle, then we're inspired to shout. But are we often really involved with shouting before the miracle happens? Before the answer to our prayers comes? Anybody can shout after the wall comes down. But God told them on the seventh day, the priest are to blow the horns. You surround it seven times. When the priest blow the long, 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 long note on their, their ram's horn, everybody is to shout, he says. Then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. See, they were obedient to God. They were in the right position. Although people were laughing at them, you know, poking fun of them, insulting them because they were obeying God, who had the last laugh there? When the walls come tumbling down, it's just like, oh no, oh no. Their God is taking care of them and defending them. We wish we hadn't have been insulting them the way we had now. But see, there again, <clears throat> you can set up for less and go, well, there's no way we can get through that city wall. There's no way we can get through those gates. God goes, march around it. What does marching around, just walking around, what good is walking around a city do? Well, see, it's obedience to the Almighty God. That's his playbook. It doesn't seem to be very powerful 
But obedience to God is always powerful. It really is. You will eat. How many of y'all like that word wait? Not one hand went up. Not even accidentally. Okay, one did. But you don't know what you're thinking. Waiting? How many of you get impatient? I mean, we, we go through a drive through to speed it up, right? There's three cars ahead of us. Hey, go in. Let me get by. You know, I mean, we don't necessarily like to wait. But see, here they are marching around the Jericho. They had to wait for six, the seventh day. They had to do it the way God said. They had to follow to order, you know. You will either wait passively or you will wait expectantly. Think about this for just a moment, you know. The passive person. <clears throat> passive person is willing to kind of sit around that hoping that something good might just happen. Give me my recliner. Give me my lazy boy. I'm just going to wait on God. Maybe something good will happen. Passive. Does that describe you? Or, or the expectant person, you know, the, 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 they're waiting expectantly. Nothing passive at all about that person. Now, a passive person, they actually uh, have a whole lot more wishbone than backbone. Well, I just wish something good's going to happen to them. But see, not an expectant person. That's a whole different deal. An expectant person is like a woman who's pregnant. Once she discovers she's pregnant, is she passive? First off, she's going to tell everybody when the time is right, let them know, oh, guess what's going on, what's happening here. And then she is very active. She's collecting all the things that she needs for that baby. She's uh, readying the nursery, getting everything ready. She's passionate about this baby that's coming. She's aggressively preparing, actively preparing. Nothing passive, but passionate, see. So think about this for yourself. I mean, a guy who, we saw the Bonaparte boys there on that video clip, man, they weren't passive. They were running and, and jumping and spinning and catching and, and, and they were moving, man. They were aggressive. Are we aggressive to receive God's best? Or are, we just, are we just passive while we wait? Ah, just settle for less. It's not worth the effort, you know? I'm not going to march around. The, you know how much energy that would take marching around Jericho? Does that describe you in, in your relationship with the coach? Are you passive? Are you passionate and, and expectant? Listen to what the scripture says here in Psalms 27, verse 14. It says, wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. It said patiently, not passively. It said wait patiently, and we know that's talking about you know, not passive, but passionately. Wait expecting any moment. Any moment it's, it's going to happen. Any moment. It, it speeds up the process, you see. Aggressively waiting upon God. The way these guys, you know, they've waited for the game. They, they've done all their training. They've waited for the game. Now the quarterback tells them they're waiting on the line. And when he calls out, you know, in, in the huddle, he's told them to play. And when he calls out some other numbers and things, they take off, man. They're aggressive. They're passionate, you know. And, and, and they're in the right position. They catch the ball. They receive the best. 
And the same with you and I. If we're just passive on the promises of God, on the playbook, uh, we'll probably find ourselves out of bounds most of the time. Listen to what it says here in Isaiah 40, verse 21. He says, have you not been paying attention? Question mark. Hello? Have you not been paying attention? Have you not been listening? You ever talk to people and they're like over in La La Land somewhere? Huh? What? Are you talking to me? You know? Well, God's saying that to us basically. Have you not been paying attention? Have you not been listening? Haven't you heard these stories all your life? Have you heard about Jericho and the walls? Don't you understand the foundation of all things? The foundation of all things is God and his word, standing on the promises of Almighty God. And then he says in verse 22, God sits high above the round ball of earth. The people look like mere ants. He stretches out the skies like a canvas. Yes, like a tent canvas to live under. Verse 23 says he ignores what all the princes say and do the rulers of the earth count for nothing let me tell you you think god's upset about all the elections that's coming on god is not in the least bit worried about it it doesn't mean anything to him ain't nobody can overthrow god i mean how many of y'all experienced a little bit of wind this past week that was just basically god just doing like that one time you know and we thought the house was going to blow down God is yet in control, has been, is now, and will ever be. And you can be in relationship with him who rules it all. Listen to what he says here in verse 23. He ignores what all the princes say and do, the rulers of the earth. They count for nothing. Verse 24 says, princes and rulers don't amount to much, like seeds, barely rooted, just sprouted. They shrivel when God blows on them, like flecks of chaff. They're gone with the wind, verse 25. So God says, so who is like me? Who holds a candle to me, says the holy? Look at the night skies. You like to go outside and look at the stars and all, the moon? Awesome. He says, look at the night skies. Who do you think made all this? Who marches this army of stars out each night? Who put the stars there? I don't know. Did you see any stars last night? Did you see the, the moon last night? The cloud? I did. It's awesome. Who marches this army of stars out each night? Counts them off. Calls each by name. So magnificent. So powerful. And never overlooks a single one. If God doesn't overlook a single star, I'm going to tell you something, folks. He's not going to overlook you. You're extremely important. Verse 27 says, why would you ever complain, old Jacob? Or whine, Israel, saying, well, God has lost track of me. You ever complain? A couple of honest souls. Only two honest people here? Let me tell you, and I can understand why you don't want to be honest about it with me now, but when you complain, it puts you out of bounds. You complain, you're out of bounds. You're not going to receive as much of God's best 
as you could if you just repent and say, Lord, I am sorry for complaining. And, and we begin to praise him in the midst of difficulty, you see. He says here in verse 27, why would you ever complain? When you got a relationship with the quarterback, you got his playbook, and he guarantees you if you'll follow his instruction, you'll be in the right place, you'll win, you'll receive. You'll receive his best. Why would we ever complain if we believe that? That might be the, the reason that we complain because we don't necessarily believe that. And then we go, well, God's lost track of me. He don't even know I exist. He doesn't care what happens to me. You see that there in the latter part of verse 27? People say that. It's a lie. He has not lost track of you. He cares extremely about you. That's why he sent his son to die in your place so you can live with him in heaven forever. Verse 28, it says, don't you know anything? Haven't you been listening? God doesn't come and go. God lasts. He's creator of all you can see or imagine. He doesn't get tired out, doesn't pause to catch his breath, and he knows everything inside and out. He energizes those who get tired. You ever get tired? He energizes those who get tired, gives fresh strength. To the dropouts if you're in the right position if you God I'm sorry I doubted you I'm sorry I disobeyed you would you please forgive me he said if you're forgiven gets us right in the right position to receive this fresh strength verse 29 says he energizes those who get tired he gets fresh strength to the dropouts for even young people tire and drop out young folks in their prime they stumble and fall but those who what's that word those who wait, not passively, but passionately, aggressively, and actively, but those who wait upon God, they get fresh strength. They spread their wings and soar like eagles. They run and they don't get tired. They walk and they don't lag behind. He says, but when you're waiting on God, you soar. So what should we be doing while we're waiting? Soaring, soaring, gaining spiritual altitude with the Almighty God. Having a relationship with God where we can soar, we can spread out our wings of faith and mount up and mount up and get higher and closer to the Almighty as we're waiting. What happens when you get higher? You see things a little bit better. You can see further into the future. You can see further... When you're in an airplane, you can see several states at one time. And he tells us, those who wait will get fresh strength. They'll spread their wings and soar like eagles. And you understand that the eagle, he puts his wings out, and when storms are coming, eagles aren't afraid of storms. But when a storm is coming, hurricane storms come. Tornadoes are coming. And what they do, they're flying way up there, and what they'll do, they'll lock their wings in and they'll look upward, which we should learn to do. And they look upward and the force of the wind hits them and catapults them over top of the storm. Try this on the way home. You did it when you was a kid. You're driving home, you got your hand out the window. You ever done that? And, and, and if you're going down the interstate and the wind's blowing hard, you, you point your hand up, what happens? And that's what eagles do. When storms hit them, it just catapults them over to the top of the storm 
And you and I, if we look up, we look to our coach, we, we look to our quarterback, you, you remember the playbook, you remember his word. As you're waiting, wait aggressively, wait passionately, wait actively, doing what he's already told you to do, do that until he chooses to do something. It speeds up the whole process. Did you know when you wait actively, the, uh, the blessings, the answers come quicker? When you're passive, they are delayed. And if you're so passive that you're out of bounds, even if you don't know it, not only are they delayed, they may be delayed your lifetime. But the men and the women who are active and passionate in obeying what it says in the playbook, amazing things happen. Listen to what it says here, Acts chapter 16, verse 22. It says, a mob formed against Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas was disciples of Jesus. They were sharing the gospel. They were telling people about what Jesus came for, how he had given his life, how he had risen from the dead, and how he was transforming people's lives. People laughed, people poked fun of them, people beat them and stoned them, imprisoned them for sharing this good news. Didn't stop them. No, sir, because they had a relationship with their quarterback, and he had risen from the dead. And it says, a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas and the city officials. They ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten. And then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. You understand that? Ordered to make sure they don't escape. Because if these guys get out, you will serve their time. And then we're going to take your head off. A guy who was in jail was given some prestige and some position and some good uh, reward for it. But if he let somebody escape, he had to serve their time and often forfeit his life. So it says the jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer, he's going to find the best place to fit them. It says, so the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in stocks. And you understand that. Stocks is just a big old four by four or maybe a six by six board on the floor. This is down below the, the prison. This is down there where it's dark. Only if they bring a candle can you see. There's human waste all over the place. It's filthy, it stinks. Rats are running everywhere. And there's no stools, no chairs, no nothing. You sit down on the cold, filthy, you know, stone floor. They lift your legs up about yay high and these little scallops has been cut out on the board. You put your feet there, and then they bring another board over top of it, and they lock it in, and you're chained there. So you're sitting on the floor. You've got to put your hands behind you to lean back or lay in the filth. Your, your feet are up off the a terribly uncomfortable position. I mean, that hurts me even thinking about that, you know? So that's where they went. They went into the inner dungeon down there with all the filth, and the, the guards going, well, they can't get out of there, you know? Maybe it was a little overkill, but they can't get out of there. Verse 24, so the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were complaining and fussing at God. Oh, oh okay. Now I want you to understand something. We've talked about this before, but this just is not natural. It is natural to complain. It is natural to think that God has abandoned you 
that God's not being fair with you and taking care of you like he said, that's natural. What these guys are doing is not natural. They were waiting on God, but they were waiting passionately. They were waiting actively and aggressively. Listen to what it says here. At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Do you think they were whispering it? They were shouting it out, man. And it says, and the other prisoners were listening. They weren't tippy-toeing around with this deal here. Shh, you know. They were praying for God to rescue them and God to show up there for them. They were singing and praising him for their own salvation, for the privilege of serving God. They were singing. They, they were rejoicing. They were praying. What did that do for these guys? It put them in the right position to receive God's best. When you complain, and I'm telling you, I'm talking about you, you, when you complain, you're out of bounds. You might as well know that you have just delayed answers to your prayers. You have just delayed God's best for you because you're whining and groaning and belly aching. Who wants to hear that? Now you can tell God what's going on in your life. I'm sorry, Lord, let him know that. He forgives you, and you get back over here, and you're like, if nothing else you have to praise him for, it's like, thank you for forgiving me and saving me. Thank you that I'll live with you in heaven forever. Because there's a lot of other blessings that we forget about. Anyhow, Paul and Silas was in the right position to receive God's best because they were singing, and they were, you know, uh, praying, talking to God. Verse 26 says, suddenly. It was not being delayed. Some of you, God wanted to answer your best, answer your prayers and give you his best long time ago, but your attitude has prevented it. You know what? I've got to pull out my phone here. Something happened to our clock that used to be up there that told me so I don't preach three or four hours on you. It's gone, completely gone. I don't know where it's at. I don't really mind, though. You know. He says here, Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake. This was a supernatural kind of earthquake. And the prison was shaken to its foundation. And, and I can't help, I just thought of this one day, and I visualized it every time I think about this. And one time I was telling the story, and, and I didn't tell what I thought because, man, eh, it's getting kind of boring maybe. And the young lady here reminded me and said, I need to hear that. But I do believe this. When God hears his children praising and rejoicing in the midst of difficulty, it gets his attention. And God's going, hey, listen to that. And God starts tapping his foot. He gets carried away, causes earthquakes and stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? So God got carried away here. Suddenly, verse 26, suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundation. And all, everybody say all. All the doors immediately flew open. Not just like, well, one of them cracked where the wall opened up and one door. But it says, all the doors. This is supernatural here. All the doors immediately flew open. And the chains of, what's that word? Every prisoner fell off. Every door popped open. Every chain popped off of arms and, and, and ankles. This was supernatural because Paul and Silas was in the right position to receive God's best. It ain't natural to praise God when things is going tough. It's supernatural. 
It's natural to complain and whine and be put on the out of bounds. That's natural. But when you confess and say, God, I'm sorry I've been complaining. You get right in the right position, boom, now you can receive the best. That's what the playbook tells us. Learn what the playbook has to say. Anyhow, verse 27, it says, the jailer woke up. Or the earthquake, you would have thought he would. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. What's he thinking? He assumed the prisoners had escaped. So he drew his sword to kill himself. He was not going to be punished by his superior. He was just going to take his own life. But Paul shouted at him, hey, stop. Hey, don't kill yourself. We're all here. That is supernatural. You get a bunch of crooks and criminals who've been locked up, and all of a sudden everything's open? I mean, would you stay around? And, but it was supernatural. Those prisoners had been hearing the prayers and hearing the singing and all, and they respected Paul and Silas. And Paul and Silas said, hey, guys, just keep your cool. Just stay where you're at. The tailor, verse 29, he called for lights, and he, he ran to the dungeon, and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Now, he was somewhat abusive before, putting him in the worst of the worst of the worst. He didn't care. He'd become hardened to live with that kind of stuff all the time. But now he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Verse 30 says, and then he brought them out, and he asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Man, he sees the resurrection power of the Almighty at work here. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. Wow. See, that's waiting on God, aggressive, passionately, actively waiting on God, doing what God told you to do. It's not waiting and complaining, but it's waiting and rejoicing. That causes us to mount up with wings as eagles. We see from God's vantage point, and, and at God's perfect time, and I'm going to tell you what, it speeds it up. You complain, it delays it, and delays it, and delays it. But you begin to rejoice and praise God. It speeds everything up. Francie Swartz, in her book, Chicken Soup for the Soul at Work, she tells about a guy named Jerry. Jerry was always in a good mood and always had something positive to say. And, and when <clears throat> asked how he was doing, Jerry would always say, if I was any better, I'd be twins. Jerry was a restaurant manager who everybody loved to work for because he was so positive. And Francie said, and she was interviewing him, I don't get it, Jerry. You can't possibly be upbeat all the time. How do you do it? And Jerry replied, each morning, I wake up and I say to myself, Jerry, you have two choices. Two choices today. You can either choose to be in a bad mood or choose to be in a good mood. And I choose to be in a good mood. Oh, it's not that easy, Francie protested. Yes, it is, Jerry responded. Life is all about choices. You remember that. Life is all about choices, the choices that you'll make today. But life is all about choices well several years ago Jerry's restaurant was robbed the thieves panicked and they shot Jerry 
and he was rushed to the emergency room and he spent 18 hours on the operating table and several weeks in intensive care, but he survived. And later, Francie asked him how he did it. And he said, when I was laying on the floor, I remembered I had two choices. I could choose to live or I could choose to die. I chose to live. The paramedics were encouraging, but when they wheeled me into the emergency room, I saw the look on the faces of the doctors and the nurses, and I got really scared. Because in their eyes, I read, he's a dead man. And I knew I needed to take action. And there was this big, burly nurse shouting questions at me, and she asked, are you allergic to anything? Yes, I replied. And all the doctors and the nurses stopped working as they waited for my reply to find out what I'm allergic to. Bullets, I answered. <laughs> and over the laughter of the doctors and the nurses, I yelled, I'm choosing to live. Operate on me as if I'm alive, not dead. And Jerry lived, thanks to the skill of the doctors and to his attitude and to the grace of Almighty God. And Francis Swartz says, I saw Jerry six months after the accident, and I asked him how he was doing, and he replied, if I was any better, I'd be twins. Much of life is determined not by circumstances, but by the personal choices we make. I challenge you to make a personal choice and decide that you're going to rejoice in the Lord no matter. Philippians 4 4 says rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice can you hear the quarterback calling Philippians 4 4 which says rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice that puts you in the right position to receive God's best Philippians 4 4 remember what Jesus said this is actually where we ended last week I was trying to kind of pick up a little review, but I kind of get it all backwards. But listen to what Jesus said. John 5.30 says, I can do nothing on my own. Do we consult God before we make decisions? Do we consult God before we complain? I promise you, he'll say, don't do that. That puts you out of bounds, you know? And you cannot expect God's approval on plans of which you did not consult him. You cannot expect, if you're, you're out here on the football team and, you're, and, and, and the quarterback is saying this and that and he's already huddled with you guys, but, but you've you got a new plan. you got an idea that'll probably bring some points in, but you didn't consult him. So you run out here and you do a little twist and spin around and you go back over there, you step out of bounds, you come back over here, you sit, and you come over here and you go, okay, throw it. <laughs> so you going to throw you that ball? Once you step down, you, you, you ain't in the play anymore. We must consult with God. We got to do it God's way, you see. It says, Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. I judge as God tells me, therefore my judgment is just because I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own. If Jesus sought the Father's will, how much more should we? David Livingston, a great missionary to Africa, David Livingston said, he said, I had rather be in the heart of dark Africa in the will of God than on the throne of England out of his will. See, the center of God's will 
is the safest place that you can be. In the center of God's will is the right place to be, whatever he tells us. Remember, just, just briefly, I talked to you a little bit about it last week, but just as a reminder, you know, when the coach calls out, Philippians 5, 18, the, the quarterback, Philippians 5, 18, okay, everybody knows what that is. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is the will, this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Listen to your quarterback. Listen to the plays he calls out. Ephesians 5.15 says, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days, and don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. In order to understand it, we got to study the playbook, you see. Ephesians 6.6, 6, it says, As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Do the will of God, not reluctantly, but with all your heart, it says. Now, do you ever uh, get in a situation where you got to make a choice? Let me see. Do I have it? Oh, no. I lost my change. Oh, no, there it is. Okay, good. You're, you're seeking God's will, and you're going, okay. Heads I'll go, tails I won't go, okay? Now, God says go. You know, I'll just check to make sure. Uh, his heads. Let's do the best two out of three. Okay. You flip that coin long enough, you can do whatever you want to do. You know what I'm saying? Do you think flipping a coin is the best way to determine God's will? Or do you think maybe flipping the pages of the Bible would be better to discover what's in the playbook? Flip the pages of God's word, not a coin, to find out what God's will is. Okay, Philippians 32, verse 8 through 9. You can hear the quarterback calling that out. Philippians! Okay, got everybody's attention. 32, 8, 9. All right. The Lord says, I will guide you along the, the best, the best path way for your life because the Father knows best. I will advise you, and I'll watch over you. And then he says, do not be like a senseless horse or a mule that needs a bit and a bridle to keep it under control. We don't want pain to make us obey, do we? Maybe we do. Do we? But if you take a horse that will not obey, you'll put that bit in the bridle there and you'll yank on it. Okay, I'll, I'll turn. Okay, stop pulling. I hurt. See, you can set up for, for less, a real great big heavy painful bit. Or you can just obey. And the Lord says, I'll guide you along the best pathway for your life. I'll advise you. I'll watch over you. Do not be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and a bridle to keep it under control. The uh, founder of Samaritan's Purse, it was passed on to Franklin Graham, but he was also the founder of uh, World Vision. His name was Bob Pierce. And, and he said, he was a godly man, he said, God gently leads his children along. Me? He yanks. <laughs> he was just kind of teasing, but saying, you know what, when I get out of bounds, God, he yanks on me. Imagine what you do to the horse with the bit and, and, and the bridle and all. The secret to an unsuccessful life. How many of y'all want to find out what the secret to an unsuccessful life is? You know, it lies in an un, 
surrendered will. No, my will, not your will. My will. But here you settle for less. You don't receive God's best. <clears throat> and God has so much more for you. We'll close with this. This is our last passage in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And it says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God. Did, did you see the twins, what they told us in the introduction there? They had to get up before anybody else did. They had to go to school. They went to the weight room. They, they did runs and plays, and they studied, and they exercised, and they prepped. They disciplined their body for them to become successful football players like they became. It says, so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice. God don't want any more dead sheep. He wants living sacrifices, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Worship is not just singing songs, but worship is obeying God. That's what true worship is. And then he says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you. Transform is an awesome word. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And what changes the way we think, well, why don't we do this? No, do it what the playbook says. Let God transform you by changing the way you think. All right, so if you let God transform you by changing the way you think, what's the next word? then you will learn to know God's will for you. Then you'll learn to know God's will. If you'll let him change the way you think, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, and it's by studying the playbook. Then you will know, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing. close with this. There's a story I came across many, many years ago about a farmer. And uh, he had a great farm. Raised all kinds of animals. But one day he was hiking up on some mountains that was in view of his farm, way over yonder. Open prairies and there's this big mountain ridge. And he was hiking and climbing. He enjoyed it. And as he's climbing up this cliff, he happened upon an eagle's nest. No eagles around, but there were some eggs there. Now, he shouldn't have done it, but he did. He took one of the eggs, wrapped it up in his sweater, put it in his pack, and brought it successfully home because he had a farm. And he put it in a chicken's nest that had a whole bunch of other eggs. And you know what that chicken did? She hatched it with all of her brood. So he's got all these little chicks running around the yard, and it took a little bit of special care on his part in the beginning. But the eagle survived and thought he was a chicken. He was just hanging out with chickens, doing what chickens do, scratching around in the barnyard, eating a little bit of grain that the farmer throws out, you know, pulling a earthworm out of a cow patty, you know, over there, and uh, just doing what chickens do. The farmer would clip his wings every once in a while. Anyhow, as time progressed, the farmer forgot about that, and a terrible storm was a brewing. And, and the chickens lived up to their name. Ah! And they ran into the chicken house because they was chickens. 
But for some reason, the eagle was not frightened by those dark clouds and the winds that was blowing. And he heard the cry of an eagle that was way high, almost out of sight. He heard the cry of an eagle. And there was something causing him to cock his head up and look and listen. And the winds that were blowing around, every once in a while he'd put his wings out and the winds would kind of lift him up a little bit. And he would hear the cry of that eagle. And then while the chickens were hiding in the chicken house, he stretched out his wings, caught the wind, and he began to flap those wings over a very tall chicken wire fence. And he was working hard, and he was flapping his wings for the first time, and he was gaining altitude, and then he caught the currents of that storm. And it just kept carrying him higher and higher and higher and higher. And I want you to understand, you can settle for less and live in the chicken pen the rest of your life. Or you can become the men and the women that God has destined you to be. And when you learn to wait upon him and be in the right position and follow his playbook, he says you will mount up with wings like an eagle. You will soar with the Almighty. And storms that seem to destroy other people only catapult you closer to God just like the storm that Paul and Silas had in prison. They just got closer to God, learned to trust God even more, saw his supernatural power. It's a choice that we would make. I'm sure our time is probably up. Let me see. Yeah, it was up a long time ago. But we're not going to complain about it, are we? Let's bow our heads together. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters here. I thank you that as we've read your word and we've shared your concepts, it has been an encouragement to us all. It's caused our faith to soar. And Lord, that's what we want to do. We want to be in the right position. We want to do things your way, not our own way. We want to do it your way. Bless us, Father, as we make our choices today that will affect us for the rest of the day. And as we make choices tomorrow, whether we have good attitudes or bad attitudes, help us to make the right choice. Help us to stay in your boundaries. Help us to be in the right position and to live by your playbook. As our heads are bowed, I'd ask you to join me in a simple prayer to renew our faith in Christ. And if you're here today and you've never welcomed Christ into your life, would you pray with us and allow him to come in right now as your Savior, as your Lord and your King? Pray with me, would you? Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that you love me, and the best is yet to come. That's why you sent your son Jesus to take my place, to pay for my sins, so I could receive your best. I believe that Jesus is knocking at the door of my heart, and I open the door, and I welcome Jesus in as my Savior as my Lord and as my soon coming King. I am sorry for my sinful ways. I turn from those things and I choose to live my life for you. Help me to learn your ways. Help me to learn your playbook. Help me to be in the right position to receive your best. I ask in Jesus' name. 
before you go, if you would look at your weekly challenge, it just simply says, this week I will rise up from the muck and the mire, spread my wings of faith, and soar with God. If that describes you, well, then you check it off, drop it in the tithe box, and you know you'll be acting upon that this week the way your other brothers and sisters are. Determined no longer to settle for less in the chicken pen of life, but we're going to mount up with wings as eagles, and we're going to soar with the Almighty God. Listen, if you prayed with me a moment ago and you welcomed Christ in your life for the first time, please stop at our connections desk back there and uh, pick up a little gift bag. It's got a Bible, a movie, and some little goodies that I believe would inspire you. And also, all of our guests, if you're here, Go back there and let them know, hey, I'm a guest today. We have a very nice gift to give you. Just one of our ways of saying thanks for coming, and we hope you come back. And uh, if you have a need of prayer, there'll be people around the altar who would love to pray with you about anything that's going on in your life, because I'm telling you, God answers, for prayer, answers our prayer. We don't have to settle for less. We can receive God's best. And then, is there anything else I suppose to tell you? I reckon fix the clock. God bless you. You are dismissed. Thank you.